not unlike many other Christian holidays. The great king, Jesus Christ, is the great king. And if you are born again and you know that in your heart, you will be rejoicing when we cry out songs of Hosanna, Hosanna, or Christ is coming, Christ is our king. He has rescued us from the grave. He has rescued us from Satan. He has rescued us from sin. He has forgiven us. He's truly the great king. But Palm Sunday is a day, like other holidays, a day of mixed emotions. A lot of mixed emotions happen on holidays. Many, many mixed emotions. It's a day that offers so much a holiday. It's a holy day. It's, it, it's, it's pointing to something God has done for mankind. That's a holiday. It's a holy day. Specifically what Christ has done for the world, for the nation of Israel. Israel was sort of a, a womb that was going to birth the Messiah for the whole world. I have to step back a second and I preach through headaches and pains and everything else, but I'm trying to preach through the hiccups this morning or this afternoon, okay? So, so let me know. I don't know if drinking water makes it worse or better. I have no idea. So uh, I do got the hiccups. We'll see how faithful God is to all of you. All right? Not alone. Thank you. A hiccup sufferer in the congregation with me. But that's what holidays do. It's a holiday. It's a point to Christ. There is something very specific in the message, uh, which I will get into our text today when we get into it. But today we've mixed emotions, and very few people really notice it. We see it all the time. Many times on holidays, there's genuine praise to God. There was praise here today. We're going to see how there was praise in Israel 2,000 years ago. There's genuine faith that Jesus Christ is the King. He is the Messiah. It's a time of prophetic expectations and fulfillment for the nation of Israel. A time of great hope and great praise 2,000 years ago. But unfortunately, it's also a time of genuine unbelief and rejection. And most of all, it's a time of missed opportunity. Holidays like that. Some people come to understand they hear something great about Christ and they leave and they're not changed. Guess what that is? That's a missed opportunity. And we're going to see how this took place in its greatest fulfillment 2,000 years ago as Christ was coming into the kingdom, coming into Jerusalem. Let's go to our text, Luke 19, starting in verse 28. Listen to how Jesus speaks. Look at how Jesus, in this text, sees the wild praise that's happening. All the expectation, all the joy, but... See how Jesus looks at it. He doesn't look from man's perspective. He sees it from God's eternal perspective. This is a great day in the nation of Israel. It's a time of prophetic fulfillment as the king comes in riding lowly on a donkey. He says this in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? 
And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the, da- on the way down the mountain, the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began, began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. There's thousands, if not ten thousands of people lining the road. For all the mighty works they had seen, all the miracles they have seen Jesus done. Now they're rejoicing, they're praising God by tens of thousands. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the Psalms calling card. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to the teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it. What does Christ see that we don't see? He looks past the tens of thousands of participators in worship and praise. They're there for this great holiday. You would think he would have a smile on his face. You would think that, look at, look at the praise. But he weeps. Saying, would that you, even you, had known this day that makes for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you. And surround you and hem you in on every side. And tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you. And they will not leave leave one stone upon another. Because you did not know the time of your visitation, let me pray. Father, I pray that nobody ever misses the time of their visitation. As a pastor, I could cry, I could weep, message after message, sermon after sermon, holiday after holiday, year after year, and decade after decade, and people are still missing the day of their visitation. Father, I pray that you be kind to people like you were to Lydia in Philippians and open up her eyes, open up people's hearts to receive the great things of Jesus Messiah. Do wonderful and great things in our midst today, God. We want to worship you in a pure spirit and spirit in the truth, Father God. But we need your power of the Holy Spirit to be amongst us as we preach this message and make it real in our hearts today, Father God. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Missed opportunities. This is one of the great and grand missed opportunities ever, if not the grandest and greatest missed opportunity of anything in the world. Israel, a nation, has been waiting five centuries for the true king, the Messiah, to come. And usher in this kingdom of peace and righteousness as the prophets prophesied and promised. A prophecy was a promise that God was going to do this for the nation. And would break the yoke of oppression from their neck and turn their mourning into laughter. And her sorrow into joy. They lived amongst Roman-occupied Jerusalem. You would think that when you read the text that the Jews were worshiping in spirit and in truth. But they weren't. Everywhere they turned, on every block they went, there was Roman soldiers everywhere. When they went to the temple, there was Roman soldiers on the outside. When they left the temple, there were Roman tax collectors on the outside. A Jew could go nowhere. It was occupied territory. 
everything they did was under the scrutiny of Rome. And all of a sudden, Jesus is coming. Something wonderful has happened. This Messiah is coming. This, this, somebody's claiming to be Messiah. He's the prophet that God's going to send. And surely he's doing these wonderful. He's doing these great miracles. He's raising the dead. Surely he's the one. He's the one who's going to deliver us. And like many people today, they come to Jesus for the wrong reasons. Surely Jesus is the king. And he's going to deal with all true occupation. He's going to deliver in a true kingdom where he will reign as king. But prior to that, he reigns as savior and king in our heart. The kingdom of God is within our midst. I see the kingdom of God. When we get together, people think we're nuts. You and your Bibles and your happy songs. This is the kingdom of God. This is the work of God's spirit amongst a sinful world in the hearts of people. This is where it is. God reigns in the heart. This is where true joy and true peace and contentment lie. And one day we will be in a new heaven and a new earth where there is no sin, there is no death, there is no Satan, there is no tears, there is no pain. And we are filled. We don't even live by faith anymore. We live by sight. When we see him face to face. That's the story we're seeing today. That's what's happening. And to some degree, this happens in every Christian sermon. Every Christian holiday has these dynamics. People come, they get caught up in the mass hysteria. It's another holiday, got to go. And, and, and there's a good intention in there. There was many good intentions this day. The tens of thousands were chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna. But yet it was a day of visitation and they missed it. We couldn't see that. Nobody, the disciples could not see that. The disciples could ask, why are you weeping? Look at the tens of thousands of people running out to you. They're laying their cloaks. They're saying, we welcome you as king. It was a sign of welcoming him, the king. And Jesus is doing nothing but weeping. He sees beyond their fickleness. He sees beyond their curiosity. He sees their, beyond their temporary Praise, he sees into the heart. There are those whose hearts were overwhelmed by the grace of God in Christ, but others are fickle in faith. Shouts of praise today, tomorrow they'll crucify him. One week later, most of this crowd was yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. Same crowd. Others were at this crowd who just followed the crowd. You got people who they follow the crowd and praise and worship. They they just show up. But they have no true faith of their own. They come not in hope of personal salvation or personal need. Maybe just religious curiosity or just blending in the crowd or just alleviating their conscience. But there's no true commitment. There's no true faith. These are observers. They saw the miracles of Jesus. In this crowd were people that were fed just by a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. There were people in this crowd who saw Lazarus raised from the dead. They were there when the body was in the tomb for stinking four days in a hot summer heat, and yet he came out alive. They were there. They saw it. 
They were in this crowd. Then there are the true converts who love Jesus. But when they stand before the hostile crowds like the disciples, like Peter did, they could run away. They're not strong in faith yet. They need strength in their lives. So we have this crowd of people, masses of people, singing Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it looks like a unified uh, symphony of this ejaculation of praise. But Jesus is weeping. He goes, listen, I know the real heart. I know what the, you don't fool me. Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets and those sent to her, please don't think I'm caught up in this mass hysteria. I'm not a man like you. I don't get caught up in this outward uh, signs of praise and worship. We are here to deal with the heart. It's about the heart. Jesus knew what was going on. The context we have going on here are two parts. Jesus had been preaching and performing his miracles for nearly three years, and many, many believed, but many did not. The religious leaders have always been a hindrance to his ministry, always challenging him, always questioning his authority, always putting doubts in the minds of the people. Now, according to the prophecy of Zechariah, he's coming in on Jerusalem, riding humbly on a donkey's fold. Understand, this is a, a prophetic calling card. You see, Messiah just couldn't show up and say, Hi, I'm the Messiah. Do a couple of miracles and, and get the whole nation to follow you. There was a protocol described within the Old Testament, over 600 of them, that needs to be fulfilled for someone to have been the promised Messiah. This is the last one. The last one. There is no other one. Because after this, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, only true believers get to see the resurrected Christ. No unbeliever got to see Christ and say, oh, now I repent. Someone's been raised from the dead. Of course I'll repent now. But Jesus said, if you don't believe in Moses, you won't believe in someone came from the dead. This is it. Your king is coming to you, riding on a donkey's fold. They knew what they were doing. They knew the calling card. Here he comes. This is Zechariah. This is Zechariah 9. And they're, they're greatly rejoicing. They understand the prophetic expectation. They understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am your king. But they still don't see him as savior. This is his last week with them. And they don't know it. He has a destiny with the cross. He has a destiny with the grave. They're welcoming Jesus into the city. And they think they're receiving him as the humble king. But a week later, they're going to drive the same man out of the city to Calvary. Same group of people. As the Lamb of God. He's coming into Jerusalem at Passover, the city that kills those sent to her. To offer himself as the final Paschal Lamb, according to Isaiah 53. They look for a crown, he looks for a cross. They don't realize that the end of all sacrifices are near, and the beginning of a new work of God is about to be bestowed.
And at the same time, there's this great crowd from Bethany, and they're following him. Remember Bethany? That's Lazarus. He was just raised from the dead. Now he's alive. I have to believe with all my heart, Lazarus was in front of everybody. He had to be in front of everybody. He says, Bethany was right outside Mount of Olives. And when you come up the rise and you're coming up out of Bethany, it's only a mile or two before the Mount of Olives and you get to the top and then you look down at Jerusalem and here comes the crowd. They're coming out of Jerusalem and they're coming from Bethany. Two crowds are coming out to meet Christ right there on the hill. And they say they followed him because they saw all the signs and the wonders he has done. You would think that they will lay down their hearts now. You would think that, yes, Lord, come and forgive me and, 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 and save me, God. This is an incredible sight. I wish I could do better justice to it. I don't want you to miss it. This is just a couple of people going out. These are massive crowds shouting Hosanna and hallelujah from the tops of their mouth. They're screaming. They're running around. Mass hysteria like you've never seen. Religious mass hysteria. They are filled with excitement. And they've got no idea what's going on. Many people get caught up in excitement. And they have no idea what's going on. All the people from the city come out to meet them. There's a great Passover celebration, hosannas, the psalms are filling the air. They're singing these messianic psalms. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You can see the sheer joy and hope. And now I don't want you to miss this. Surely this is the king of Israel, the son of David. This was the height of Israel's existence. This is the height of Jerusalem's. It's the pinnacle of everything Israel stood for as a nation. There was no higher moment in Israel's existence ever. To think that when David came in after slaying his tens of thousands, they worshipped David. Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his tens of thousands. Into the same city now comes the true David, the greatest son, the true Messiah, the true king. And they missed it. They missed it. So what's wrong with the picture? Verse 41 says this, And when Jesus drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it. There are many lessons about life of faith that we can learn here. You see, Jesus sees the real heart of the matter. So much unbelief. But from the people's, it was all good. From Christ's perspective, it was all bad. What good is it if the whole nation of Israel, what good is it if the whole Jerusalem, what good is it if the whole world prospers but forfeits its soul? What good is it? I'd rather live destitute as a nomad 
like Christ, to have nowhere to lay your head, to not have a friend, to be rejected by everybody, and spend eternity with him, to have everybody praise your name as you're something great, only to forfeit your soul. That's what this whole nation of Israel is doing. He came to his own, First John says, John 1 says, and his own received him not. Here's what we see from the heart of God according to Ezekiel. Listen to Ezekiel 18. <clears throat> Starting in verse 30. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed against me, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. That's what this crowd needed. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord. So turn and live. Jesus weeps for unbelieving Israel. He does not delight in its death. He sees a certain destruction that's going to happen only because they missed the day of their visitation. They would not repent. They would not accept Jesus on his own terms. They would not deal with the inner heart. They did not seek a new heart. They did not seek a new spirit. They just wanted the king. They just wanted life to change real quick. People just want life to change real quick. They're just looking for a new thing, a new anything. And Jesus saying, you need a new heart, you need a new spirit. That's the whole Christian gospel message. And if anybody preaches anything that's a, it's, that points to something else, that Jesus can come in and make you a better husband, make you a better wife, make you happy, give you this, it is a false teaching. Jesus is here to give a new heart and a new spirit. Only he can do it. If you're looking for anything else, you're going to miss the day of your visitation. No matter how happy the song makes you, no matter how many shouts of hallelujah, no matter how many hosannas, no matter how many goose pimples you have, you're going to miss it if you don't get a new heart and if you don't get a new spirit. Jesus is into true heart. He's into God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And we might add, God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth in the worst of times. God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and the truth in the worst of times. God is seeking those who worship him in spirit and the truth in the really bad times. With no promises of getting better. Just worshiping him because he's worthy to be praised. Not because he can give you something. Not because you put $2 in and you get the Coca-Cola can out now. You go out rich with every intangible imaginable. You come in poor, you leave rich in peace. You leave rich in hope. You leave rich in joy. You leave rich being spiritually born again. Being spiritually cleansed from the inside with a new heart and a new mind. And you don't think the way you used to think. You don't act the way you used to act. You don't desire the way you don't desire. You don't chase vain things anymore because your life is sold out and filled with Jesus. That's what he does. It never ceases to amaze me when people try to make it sound better. Just get them in the doors. Just get them in. Give them free cookies. Give them a, a backpack. Give them, give them anything. Just get them in the door and we'll tell them how much God loves them. And that's fine. But you can't get away from the message. 
Jesus wept. Do you know what a lot of churches are doing today? They're all puffed up. You know why? Because the doors are swelling. People go to church on the holidays. And, and they're coming in and, and they're like, this is great. We should be weeping. Because for me, I don't want you to miss the day of your visitation. I want you to leave here a new man and a new woman with a new heart and a new spirit. I want you to leave here with Jesus. You know why? God has no pleasure in death. He can give death or he can give life. Faith gives us life. Unbelief gives us death. This wasn't no passive tear. Don't miss this. This wasn't Jesus going, oh, you know, I just wish they were better. Oh, you know, I just wish they really understood. I just really wish, no, this, this is a deep moaning. They heard Jesus moaning. They didn't see the tears. They saw the moaning. They saw the groaning. The contortion of his face over the reality that one day within 40 years, this city was going to be destroyed. And the children were going to be destroyed. And the elderly were going to be destroyed. And 40 years later in AD 70, when Romans came in, they laid the whole thing down. Over a million Jews were killed. Because they missed the day of their visitation. Jesus is responding to the pain of unbelief. He took it serious. Unbelief is painful to watch. And he does what a true prophet of God would do. He does what a true Messiah would do. And hopefully every true minister does too. He predicts the fall of Jerusalem. When Titus came in in AD 70. He doesn't sugarcoat. Well, look, and they're having a nice holiday. Let's not spoil it with judgment. Look at everybody's having a good, happy holiday. Let's not talk about a certain judgment. No. Jesus speaks the truth in love. And he predicts the fall of Jerusalem. As I just said, the scenario has played out in every Christian service since then. Every service should be an opportunity. Please, every Christian service should be an opportunity for a visitation from God for salvation. Every Christian sermon should have the elements of salvation and judgment in it. Implied or uh, uh, explicitly. It should be there to understand that the great king is amongst me. These songs are to the great king and savior. These sermons are for the great king and savior. These here, Jesus is still weeping for many are coming and they're still missing the day of their visitation. 2,000 years this has been going on. There should be a message of eternal hope and peace along with a certain judgment for those who do not repent. As the gospel is explained... 
through teaching and through preaching, even the songs we worship the Lord should have this dynamic, this personal visitation. I remember as a Christian, I was 30 years old and I believed in Jesus. I went to church. I was a Catholic and, you know, I was caught up in the cultural thing and, and I would have said yes to everything and I did. I never said no for one thing in the Apostles' Creed. I never said no to the Trinity. I never said no to the Son of God. I never said no to the sacraments. But Brian Martin never had a personal visitation from the living God. Until that day I came into a born again church that preached the gospel. And I remember saying I don't have Jesus in my life. I have religion and I believe. But I was damned if I did not come to Christ. And grateful I am. That's the day of visitation. It's through the preaching. That you can hear God speaking to you wherever you are. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are spiritually. But in the words, when God speaks, that day for me, it was like I was the only one in the church. There could have been 300 people in that room that day. And I felt like God was saying, Brian, I want you. That's a personal visitation. That's what's taking place here. There's the principle of decision in regard to personal salvation or a certain judgment. Judgment is not a pleasant subject. The text teaches us how to approach this, and this is important. Judgment is not a pleasant subject, but this text following Christ teaches us And teaches me, how do you approach it? A growing Christian should be sensitive to the lost and confused people around them. Jesus wept. And when he told them about a certain judgment, he did it with with a brokenness. He did it with tears. Like a hen, like a, a, a hen would want to come around its chicks and, and wrap my arms around you, but you wouldn't let me with tears in his eyes. He wept over Jerusalem, like every prophet that was ever sent to her. He wept, he cared. He was concerned for their eternal souls. He wasn't just spitting out venom. Turn or burn. He was weeping deep personal tears for the whole nation of Israel represented in Jerusalem. Christians need to be sensitive to the lost and confused that are around us. You know why? We know the things that make for peace. As Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we are justified by faith in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we grow, when we get sensitive, we carry burden with us. It's a burden. When we see our loved ones that don't know the Lord, it's a burden. And we care. And we can get frustrated. But we got to turn the extra cheek. we got to walk an extra mile. we got to keep on going and keep on going and keep on going until they see the tears in our eyes. Until they see our faces contorted. And as we look at them and say, please don't miss the day of your visitation. God is speaking to you. Our theology of judgment in our lives should be married one to another. We are ambassadors of Christ. The reality of certain judgments should bring us to a very real compassion for others. 
Compassion, sympathy, and empathy should characterize the Christian church and the Christian's life. Otherwise, we're a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal if we don't love. And like Christ, we should not soften the blow of this reality. It's real. Just as the prediction of Jerusalem's fall came true, those who cry for other salvation have the right to speak about judgment, about a coming hell. I have the right to speak to somebody. I pray for them. I speak to them. I love them. I show them empathy and compassion. These are the right motives and genuine concerns that move us to speak with such authority, God's own authority, with God's own compassion and God's own empathy as we can feel the pain, the certain reality of those who miss the day of their visitation. And verse 39 says, And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. <coughs> there will always be people who try to stop the praises of others. Do you know that? My mother did that to me and my wife when we got saved. I shared this many times. What do you mean you're saved? Why did you leave the religion? I had to look at my mother and say, Ma, you, you never went to church in your life. But she got all bent out of shape. Along with a lot of other relatives, they don't like, they want to get in the way from praising God. They're uncomfortable when you're someone who says, praise God, I love the Lord. People get uncomfortable and they try to get away with that. This, the Pharisees hated this praise and this worship going to Jesus as, as though he was God. Instead of enjoying Christ for themselves, they become a hindrance to others. No, we got to be guilty of practicing that. we got to be guilty of ever stifling someone's walk in the Lord. You know, some Christians get very emotional and they get saved and they're filled with this joy and zeal. Praise God, leave them alone. Don't ever get in the way of someone's walk with the Lord. If someone's enjoying God and makes you uncomfortable, don't make them uncomfortable. Sometimes you get uncomfortable around young Christians who are filled with the Spirit. You know why? They don't stop talking about God. You know, you're like, well, I used to be like that. You know, I'm not like I'm so cool, calm, and collective now. I don't tell anybody about Jesus. You know, you're not cool, calm, and collective. You're just plain cold. That's what that is. No, when you get around a young Christian, you're like, wow, God, forgive me of my indifference. But I got to get back on track over here. You know, I'm, I'm substituting zeal for, uh, for wisdom. Oh, I'm so filled with wisdom. I don't need to tell anybody about God anymore. I get, you understand, right? Denominations do this too. We can get a very uh, critical of how one denomination praises God, you know? Some people like the 45 minutes to now we're praising, worshiping loud. You know, I came out of that. I loved that. Then I got, my mind got saved and then I realized, oh, that's, that's demons. And I said, you know, son, I got to be careful. I got to be careful. That's genuine praise. People are loving God. Let's never get in the way of people that are loving God. And then you can get around a small Bible study. They don't do nothing. They say, uh, Father, bless the meeting in Jesus' name. And then they open up the Bible. But guess what? Their hearts are loving the word of God. Yeah. Don't get in the way of that either. Don't get in the way of people who worship with their feelings and their affections. And don't get in the way of people who are worshiping God in deep thought and contemplation. Don't get the two confused. Like one's better than the other. One's inferior. One's superior. Don't get confused. They're worshiping God. He says this in verse 40. 
Jesus answered, that deserves a answer. I tell you, Pharisees, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. In God's eyes, it's an injustice for a person not to believe in Christ and praise him. It's also an injustice to believe in Christ and not speak up for him. That's an injustice. To believe in Jesus and not be a mouthpiece for Jesus is an injustice. We all need to cry out, Jesus is King and Savior and Lord. That's our job, not the stones. That's your job, that's my job. And we need to be good at it and faithful with it and loving and compassionate. But we need to tell people the king, the true king has come. Do you not know we're all looking for a king? Do you not know, aren't we all looking for someone to rise up and make the world better? He has come. His name is Jesus the king. He has come and promised a better world. And this came to pass in a very real sense when the gospel went out to the Gentiles and they flocked into the kingdom with great joy of heart. Here's the Jews. John chapter 1 says he came to his own. That's what this is. He came to his own. It was Palm Sunday. He came to his own. They were singing praises. He came to his own and his own did what? They did not receive him. But listen to what Paul did when he went to the Gentiles. Acts 13.45 says this, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. They were reviling Paul. They were getting away of Paul. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since thus you, uh, you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard it, they began rejoicing and glorifying in the word of God. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believe. You see what God did? He raised up worshipers out of the stones. Understand something. If someone rejects, go to someone else. If they reject, go to someone else. God is going to raise up a remnant onto himself. No matter where you go, go to the Gentiles, go to white trash, go wherever you want. But God is raising up a people for himself. He's raising up people. And all he wants us to do is go tell them. We got to be careful to stereotype any group of humanity. We cannot fall into the polarization of what's taking place in the world, specifically in America. We can't get into it's them against us. Be careful. Don't fall into the trap. We got to stay neutral. We got to be like Switzerland. We can have strong convictions on every side, but when it comes to human beings, we need to be neutral. So we can carry the real message. God wants us to tell this world that the true king has genuinely come. Holidays are some of the most fascinating times in the church service. Many churches will do special things, something theatrics, 
some kind of entertainment, some kind of spectacular, get them into the church. And, and that's okay, you know, getting people into the church, but you have to hear the message of God's personal visitation for you. I'm going to ask the usher to get up and we're going to take communion. And I ask you, if you're not a Christian, if you're not born again, please don't take communion. But if today's the day of your visitation, and you know God is speaking to you, really, I don't know where you are in your life, and you really want to repent and, and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, participate. And when you take communion, repent of your sins, and ask Jesus to come into your life. And then please come and tell me or John or someone else that you have accepted Christ today. So let's close our eyes and pray first. Father, I thank you for this. These elements, God, that remind us of the broken body and the shed blood of Christ on our behalf, Father. If there's anybody here who has heard that today is the day of their visitation. That they want to go from just empty praise to the fulfillment of promises. I pray that you just speak to them kindly now and softly. That they, they ask you to come into their life and that they repent of their sins and they acknowledge you as their Savior. And if they're here today, Father God, if they participate, then I ask you to forgive their sins and let them enter into the kingdom of God, Father. In Jesus' name.